I'm still putting my portfolio together to start a dog sitting business. <laughs> uh, well, if you need somebody to set up your website, I guess I'm Google, the guy. Google marketing. Yeah. Oh, I set up, yeah. You don't even have Instagram. Some, I'll set uh, up your Instagram. Yeah, we have zero social media. What was I thinking the other day? Oh, uh, call it uh, Joyce's because it sounds like a girl's name, but it's actually a play on James Joyce. The only uh, Harold Bloom. James Joyce themed puppy sitting place of all time. We'll be one in a million. We'll be broke in a month. <laughs> well, you got your business plan all figured out. That's great. Yeah, James <laughs> Joyce themed puppy sitting. It's a proposal. Half Irish, half middle age. That's all me. <laughs> Very small target demographic. Yeah, we speak hey, about that too. Hi. Hi there. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Doing Six good. out of ten. Six out of ten. I like the honesty. I was the four earlier. It's about the trend line. So we're going in the right direction. By nine o'clock will be eight point five. <laughs> Sailing at eight point five. I like it. Hello. Hello. How are you? So nice Love to be them. here. Oh, recording already running. <laughs> Sorry. I know, I well, really, all right. Permission given, I guess. I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to startle anybody, so I uh, did it right at the beginning. Something you wouldn't know. No, okay. Bandaid off early. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, me and Chris. Uh, can I use the word co-host at this point, Chris? Is that? Cool the fact you. that you're asking means you're still technically the boss, but I certainly appreciate co-host <laughs> or sidekick, bodyguard, whatever you want to call me. I'm waiting to use co-host, so maybe now's the time. So thanks for uh, joining me and Chris. We kind of have a format running. We've done a bunch of these uh, roundtable discussions between me and Chris, and usually one or two uh, previous contributors to the journal and so this time around, we have three poems to talk about uh, from our most recent March issue. And kind of the approach we take is uh, not too academic, not too scholarly. We just want to like kind of celebrate what these poems do, why we like them, why we connected with them, uh, why they spoke to us. That's kind of the tone we're going for, good natured. And uh, as one of Chris's favorite words that I've kind of started using myself, and so that's kind of our, our, uh, our rundown. I do have some notes coming from the people who wrote these pieces. And I usually save those for later just to make sure um, we get our own ideas in there first and see just how off track we can get with our interpretations um, and then get corrected by the people who wrote them. So today actually I was fortunate enough to have a few uh, comments from the authors. So yeah, uh, Ash, if you wanna, Go first. Who are you? Sure. Um, my name's Ash. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I live in Portland, Oregon, uh, but today I'm joining you from Los Angeles. I'm here for work for a couple days. Um, and I am a poet and book designer and editor. And uh, I have a book, of, a book of poems forthcoming in October 2022 from What Books Press. I uh, co-founded a press in Portland called First Matter Press, and we focus on publishing first-time poets who haven't published a, a full collection. Um, so that's been where a lot of my energy has been going the last couple of years, and it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, so it's really cool that you're kind of, you're involved in a kind of several different things in the, in the creative world. And yeah, one of them is through publishing. So I'm kind of, you have a little bit of kinship in the sense that, uh, we kind of take that ed editor role as well as uh, sometime creators. At least sometime on my part, you might be more of a full-time creator on your end. Um, so thanks for that. Ash, uh, such a pleasure to meet you. Um, I really appreciated your poem. Uh, and uh, I am a, I have not published my first collection yet. So uh, I might have to talk to you later. Uh, my name is Eben Vine. Uh, he or they pronouns are great. Um, I 
uh, live on Pawtucket land in Massachusetts, um, also known as Cambridge. I am a uh, was a high school biology teacher, now climate justice educator um, with the nonprofit Our Climate. And I wrote write poetry on the side and it's been a, a lifeline for me during the pandemic. That's been the sort of, I've, I've dabbled in many kinds of art and that's been the lifeline for me, uh, sort of the way intimacy uh, shows up when we're reading poetry and our mouths do the same things that the writers did. Um, yeah, that's me. All right, awesome. That sounds uh, sounds like we good at, got a good round table cooking. Actually, this is a first as well. Evan, you, I, I emailed you, I said, you're a step ahead of me because one of the poems you selected uh, without knowing ahead of time uh, was Ash's poem, Serious Child. So that's probably a good place to start. And Ash, you can save your comments maybe for... Uh, you can let the three of us get off track with your poem and then reel us back in. Just coincidental in the sense of the um, kind of aligning with the participant and the poem selected. Uh, and this one, uh, I got a couple of things. I, I'm kind of curious about it as well. So um, start, uh, Evan, why did you pick it in the first place? I laughed out loud when I read, um, your doubts can topple all kinds of grownups. Um, and was then immediately curious about how the structure of the poem made that moment happen for me, and then went down the wormhole of its very intriguing, intricate structure. Um, so that was the thing that grab, grabbed me. Um, and I think also as somebody who works with young people and thinks about the power of young people and knows even at 35 and without kids, very well what it means to notice yourself as an old person bringing baggage <laughs> towards a young <laughs> towards a young person the the sensitivity that the speaker and the poem brings to that was uh really important to me nice i i uh one of the things i wanted to comment on was the title and so i think maybe um i think it follows through with the content of the poem so well but even just as the title i just had that subjective connection to it because I think I, I'm safe to say I was a serious child. Um, I like to say like the, the most stressed out grade level for me was second grade. I think that kind of points points to it. So I just kind of had that appeal just from the title of it. You mentioned a line, the, the one line that stood out to me the most was, uh, the line is, here is the only rule to make believe. Choose and trust your collaborators. So in one sense, it kind of has this like a, uh, this kind of voice of authority, which is kind of funny and fun, uh, even if maybe in the sense that maybe it's coming from a child or coming from a, a reflection on childhood. And in another sense, I think I, I relate to it or uh, it kind of uh, it resonates with me uh, even today. So I don't know, did you have a, a comment, Ash, on either of those two lines that we picked up first? I don't, I don't know if I have a direct comment coming up, but I feel like uh, both. it's interesting that both of those lines, I think, are kind of the more instructional lines in the piece. And I think that there, there's kind of a, a collaboration in the piece between kind of these like sense experience lines and instructional lines and, um, and then even this kind of commenter that comes in and, and the italic bits. And so um, it's just, I guess it's interesting to me that both of the standout lines for both of you were kind of the instructional moments, which I guess feels good because you have to earn those in a poem. Like if you're just going to tell, tell someone something, you got to earn that. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's true. That's probably a good way to put it. We both have teaching backgrounds. <laughs> so that's maybe, uh, maybe something that is kind of uh, creates that resonance, you know, it's kind of like that voice in uh, in there somewhere, maybe. Do you feel that way? <laughs> yeah, I I think that, um, and I'm I'm just so grateful that um, you also brought in. Ash, sorry, I, I I the challenge was to choose one line, and and that's always like oh, but there's so much to appreciate here, and um, I the relationship between some of the sensory moments uh, and those more instructional lines is very intriguing to me as is the um, 
the italics and the little um, uh, the little greater than signs or transformation arrows. Um, with my poetry group, we were actually looking at the poem together earlier today to just like, oh, what's going on? And that was um, one thing that I was really curious to ask you about. Maybe I'll I'll share what was coming up for me, and then you know, so just as a reader, and then I'd love to sort of hear what you were thinking. Is for these. Um, uh, here is the only rule of make believe. One of my group mates read that as, oh, th this is greater than, very much greater than. <laughs> um, choose and trust your collaborators. And for me, it was like uh, part of this adult starting to edit some of their own thinking kind of partway through. And, and, and the fact that those both, like those sort of transformational moments, there's also the, you, you don't know these words yet, but you'll need them turns to um, uh, don't entertain my paranoia like a thought you've never had. Um, it seems like those, those two sort of framing instructional thoughts are like, oh, wait, shoot, that's not quite what I wanted to say. Or that's what I was getting from the speaker was some sort of like, editing and process and then the one that came out just right and you're sort of like thinking like the one thing that you felt like you could say for sure was your doubts can topple all kinds of grown-ups um so anyway that was that's what was coming up for me and i'd love to hear you share a little bit about those greater than or transformation signs <laughs> is there anything else you want to add to that before i talk <laughs> the only thing I might add is that as a reader, I didn't uh, didn't necessarily connect the, what do you call them, the arrows. Um, I didn't necessarily connect it to the greater sign, but clearly it is. I just maybe that's not my, the distance between now and, and taking a math class or something. But it's also, it's, it can be seen as the greater sign, but it's also kind of the, the causal, maybe just kind of the, it leads to something, arrow pointing to something. So, I mean, it has this kind of revert as both of those might kind of be res read as opposites or possibly as opposites. It does create a playfulness of the poem, uh, which, which uh, complements the seriousness of it and the speaker maybe in a way. Yeah, um, I think that um, this, this form of these kind of, um, I think in my own head, I think of them as notations and not like there's something kind of equational about them when they come into the poems and in my manuscript. And they definitely started to happen in moments where I was like, this is another voice coming in. Like this isn't whatever, whatever the voice is that's telling this story, this is some kind of commenting voice in my head. It's not, there's, there's a level of voice change happening. And so um, as as a longtime typographer, this just came kind of intuitively as the solution to that um, to communicate like, oh, here's someone else has something to say right now. Um, and uh, the entire manuscript that I'm working in uh, works in this like very uh, kind of spatially oriented style that doesn't really have any other punctuation. And so I kind of came up with my own ways to offset these things. and. Um, I think in my intention, definitely having the double arrow there moves it farther away from thoughts of greater than or less than for me. And it's more about momentum, I suppose. Like if we're here, we're going here um, is kind of the way I experience it. But there have definitely been moments in poems where I've toyed with that greater than less than meaning and like, am I okay with it meaning being there and like someone bringing that into it? And so thinking about the order of those statements with that symbol between them definitely becomes important as I'm considering how they sit on the page together. Um, Aaron, a quick process related question. Um, do you guys tend to have the, um, the, the, the poets read the poem? Cause that's one thing that, you know, when you talk about typography and, and sort of phrasing and voices, if, if we have time for that, that's something I'd love to hear. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes we do, actually. And not even just the, the poet, but somebody you know, who, who, um, who reads on behalf of the poet. So, yeah, if you're up for it, go ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, to let you do that if you want to. I mean, it's a little bit of putting you on the spot so that you don't have to. If you, uh, all good. If you it's all good. Reading poetry is my favorite thing. So Okay, cool. Awesome. <laughs> Not everybody has that little performative uh, uh, element in there. So yeah, go for it. All right. 
serious child. Move rocks from pile to pile, all business, even if no memory of why. Dig hole on tidal sand, fill with salt water, drip out planet's other side. Here is the only rule of make-believe, choose and trust your collaborators. Oh, serious child, your doubts can topple all kinds of grown-ups. You don't know these words yet, but you'll need them. Don't entertain my paranoia like a thought you never had. Hold me and assure some of this, only nightmare. Sort unclear shapes to grok yellow, sound of leaf breathing, what bravery is, beholden to, malleable you, be unconcerned with longevity or tying any in down, cartwheel in invisible wake. Oh, Asha, what a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, in, in hearing you read some places that came particularly alive for me, um, first of all, this, this sort of opening scene is one of the only places in the poem where I know, think I know what I'm looking at. And there's something about the like sort of pathway into this more like unclear shapes and and, and fading that, ca that came out somehow in your reading, like the way the sort of internal line breaks, start breaking up chunks of words. And one, one of those sort of like more abstracted, uh, parsing line breaks is this one, this what bravery is line break beholden to. And, and in this poem, because the lines are so wide, it's like it's like this slog to get back, like visually to get back to the start of the line. Um, and so like to me, the line breaks are extra present. Like it's the same with the your doubts can topple. I have to like run back and then I like have all this momentum, all kinds of grownups. Whoa. <laughs> um, uh, I sort of bump into it and hear this like what bravery is. And then the sort of new commentary beholden to. And that was one of the most mysterious lines of the poem for me. Uh, and I, I loved the mystery of it. To me, I guess one way that I tried to read it or to make sense of it was that there's a a bravery that children have for staying in a flow state. Um, this sort of like, oh yeah, this this serious child will move the rocks from pile to pile. And there, there, there isn't a question of why, and there's not a need to sort of answer the question of why. And to an adult, that that is an act of bravery because adults have to do this, why, why am I doing it? Uh, you know, and, and they do that all the time. And that's, you know, where, what I, how I read this, like, don't enter my paranoia, you know, <laughs> don't entertain my paranoia. Uh, you know, it's like, I hear the speaker trying to like contain the paranoia for a second. But yeah, that line was really interesting. You know, what bravery is. Um, I feel like I started to get some sense of that. And then beholden to, I was like, oh, uh, the, the poem evaded me. And that's one place that I'm still like sitting in mystery. And I think that this is a case too, where the, I mean, the shape of it, I think does, at least it helped me kind of grasp it, which if you see enough poetry that, that works with, you know, shaping and, and uh, unusual formatting, that's not always the case. So if you know, with screwy line breaks and shapes and, and putting margins all over the place, uh, sometimes that's an impediment to the meaning. Uh, in this case, I think what works so well is that the, the shape of it helps me understand it in the sense of um, it is so kind of even, evenly spaced. Even the sides of it are more or less a square and the spacing between the words is kind of like shaped relatively evenly. So the word that came to mind after kind of viewing it in a visual sense was equanimity. I don't know if that's like connection in a literal sense. That's just kind of my 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 impression of it, or just it made things seem kind of like there's a calmness over it and an evenness, even though that the the content of the poem is not necessarily uh, you know calm and even. So the the format of it kind of gave that impression. And then the only other thing I'll add. And you could uh, tell me if this is just me reading myself into it or if there's something to it. 
thought I felt like this poem had only child energy. And is that anything there? Um, I grew up with a little brother, but there was definitely like a couple years in 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 actual uh, years, but like a lot more of an experiential gap in the way that we saw and experienced the world. So I do think that like I, I spent a lot of time on my own as a kid and I was very curious about that kind of alone time for sure. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I also just want to take this chance to tell you thank you for working with such a difficult form to render on the web and um, you know just like submitting these poems has has been sometimes really pleasurable with how much people want to invest in making them their final form online and then also sometimes a, a bear so I, I really appreciate like your efforts making that happen. Yeah. That's a, you're welcome, and uh, that's a good a good piece of advice for listeners. If you're a, if you're a submitter, like be careful with what you, what you do on the page because it it is that extra I don't know, extra commitment on the side. It's better be worth it. It's better be good in order to go through not like a ton of extra trouble, but you know a little bit more than just you know left margin <laughs> single space. Yeah, you're welcome. Ash, you can give your selection. The poem is by Lindsay Donovan. The title is Blood Guilt. Um, so I think uh, when I read Lindsay's poem, I think immediately I was just kind of personally taken because of where I grew up. I grew up about seven miles from a nuclear power plant in the Northwest. And there indeed was a lake on that property. And so there's just kind of this um, really relatable image for me right at the start that is um, just so evocative and so few words. So I was just like, first line, I was immediately sucked in. I appreciated as I went through was um, this, uh, it's so like squirmy, squirrely, exploding, pus, like all of these like things are happening that are kind of like really uncomfortable, but um, the language that's getting used to describe it is so beautiful. And I thought that was a really nice tension in this particular poem. And then I also very much appreciated at the end, like where it leaves off with, it's like pretty dark, but like the most hopeful dark one could like maybe, you know, hope to have. And so um, in in these days where we're kind of confronting what apocalypse looks like uh, every few hours or, you know, every news cycle or so, um, I really just kind of appreciated that tone that like, um, I don't know, like the possibility in that, even though it's so, so dark there at the end. So that's what I'll leave, leave, leave y'all with to jump off of. And... Great. Yeah. Any takers on this one to add a little bit? Oh, I, I was just, um, the lines, um, uh, we heard them screech as they emerged, their glass wings shuddering, flicking off specks of sand like minuscule landmines. Um, that uh, minuscule landmines bursting. I think all my senses are engaged in this poem. I feel like I'm I'm zooming in. I'm on the lips of a lake, and then I'm looking down at the ground, and then there's a figure approaching, and um, it feels really cinematic. But I'm in it, uh, <laughs> and the all, the the texture in those lines makes me itch, <laughs> you know, like like like, and and worry about the, the stepping on the glass, and you know, both because of like the bees are fragile, and also broken glass is so the you know sort of threatening like just the textures are very ominous um and uh when i was reading it i felt like i was waiting for like it was some of the structures were set up making me anticipate a natural phenomenon like you know that your classic poem would be you know delivering um uh you know bees with glass like wings but surely not glass uh and that there was this sort of way that the poem kept playing with my expectations and delivering this like unnatural phenomenon after unnatural phenomenon that um, uh, I enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely would, would agree with all of that. Um, Ash, I apologize when I blipped out. The line I was going to mention was choose and trust your collaborators. 
And that's when this collaborator completely shit the bed in terms of his technological setup. But I love the poem, so I apologize if I've been flipping in and out. With this particular poem, Blood Guilt, I, I, I have two tracks playing in my head. One is trying to look at the literal situation, because I think I have interpretation, and I want to hear what you guys have to say, what you, what you think is actually happening. And then I have a whole series of kind of metaphorical or Jungian uh, implications, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm right about either one, and I kind of like that. Sometimes it's obviously it's obvious what the situation is literally the concretes of the poems architecture you say here's the situation that's happening okay got it uh and in this case i think i got it but i'm not sure does anybody else want to chime in on what you think the actual scene is here i'll step back because i've read the author's explanation already ah so that's unfair if you could remember well let me give you mine first i think and i could you know this is where I'm happy to be 100% wrong, it seems like parents sitting out on a porch watching their kid stopping fireflies or some such and having mixed ethical moral feelings about it, uh, which kind of leads to the larger existential questions. So I get initially there's this imagery that has, the, like you uh, said, Ash, the uh, the popping and the squirming and the, the 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 visceral, the vitriol of it, and then I, I see them with the with the beer stuck to their hands, just kind of sitting back, looking at each other, and then the kid looks back while he's stopping. And so, yeah, I kind of picture that scene of two parents getting a little boozed up and watching the kid stop on fireflies. That's before I get to any of the metaphorical stuff. I feel like I'm curious about where the kid comes from for you, because I feel like hmm. there's. Yeah, the um, little pops under his feet like squirming cherry bombs. Uh, and let's see, when he looks back, where there's 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 a line where he he looks back with a yeah, there it is. Bodily's he looked up and backwards at me with a cracked smile. And I'm picturing a little kid with a magnifying glass and the ants, you know, he looks at and he doesn't really know if he what he's doing is good or bad, but the parents are kind of watching at an awkward distance, wondering about the ethical implications of what their kid's doing. I feel like you know, there's I, so much sexual tension in this poem for me between the two characters. And so there's like not really children present. I wouldn't have really maybe articulated it if I just looked at this poem and like offered an interpretation, but um, I do uh, order the pieces in the issue. And the visual art piece I placed right before this kind of gets to a little bit of, of the childhood vibe. Um, it's shout out to uh, Alicia Kimball and her, her painting, uh, it's called The Storm, Where Shall We Hide? So obviously it's not meant to be a, a literal like kind of like pairing. They weren't you know, created together or anything with any connection, uh, but at least in the impression that it made on me there did seem to be something, obviously there's something foreboding, the storm, where, where shall we hide in the, in the title? And the piece is a little bit kind of creepy, the painting. Uh, so it can maybe just kind of the, um, I don't know, the emotional subjective reading of it. There's obviously a connection in there somewhere for me. I don't have like a direct, maybe pinpoint interpretation involving kids and childhood in that scene. But yeah, I think there's something something there. One question I'm curious about how, how you guys wrestle with is the italics, um, uh, these sort of voices that come in. And um, so we have this, uh, they can hardly fly little minor bugs through the smog, no substance, greedy, beautiful things. He stepped enough to shatter their wings. Um, you know, is this the the stumper, <laughs> you know, talking, I guess, is one thing, one way I could see it. And then we have this, they, they retreated, uh, we're humbling the bottle, the, the bottle bees, which I love that line, partially just because of the sounds, the humbling the bottle bees, the, there's this sort of like, you know, very, very soft, those bees and M's. Yeah. Uh, and this sort of like, 
conquering the landscape sort of feel like i don't know i get like sort of like intrepid sci-fi hero vibe for a moment um there but also like you know chris when you were sharing the sort of story or scene i you know i was like okay this is really interesting to hear and ash i was sort of with you on i was seeing two people in the landscape uh, more often um and yet I think that was one of the joys and challenges of the poem is its tendency not to resolve. It doesn't sort of click into place neatly. It feels sort of like broken glass, looking through broken glass to me. Uh, and so that was like a a good frustration for me, like like a good a good irritant uh, as I read. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's one of the balances I I like so much is the where you're drawn into something you you're. you're you find yourself more curious about something that's maybe difficult to understand or that's either confusing or just not clear. So that's part of the beauty of uh, poetry and the figurative writing. So yeah, having this one hits that. So if you will, I can share some of Lindsay's thoughts. So she wrote, she had a couple of comments. She kind of bullet, bullet pointed them. So I'll kind of take a run through. Uh, so in Lindsay's words, I wrote the first draft of this poem in college, and that was about five years ago at this point, uh, while taking a prose poetry course with the phenomenal Peter Shippey. He's a poet and professor at Emerson College, and I adored him as an artist and teacher. He, uh, she goes on to say he was and is this snappy, wise, and weathered punk who was always very gentle with other people's writing. Well, diving deep into other writers, I wrote Blood Guilt, totally absorbed with Matea Harvey, a dark surrealist prose poem queen. She has poems called Whack-A-Mole Realism and The Inside Out Mermaid to give you an idea. Her book of poems, If the Tabloids Are True, What Are You? is a well-loved and dog-eared addition to my bookshelf. The first line I wrote for the poem is literally the first line, which never happens for me. My usual process is one line comes out of the depths and then I build a poem around the line or idea. It's exciting when it actually ends up being at the very top. Uh, she has some concepts of the poem as we get kind of to the more abstract qualities. Our trash never really leaves us. What if our pieces of trash became separate beings? The merging of organic and inorganic. What if life can be born out of garbage or pollution? In this sense, I viewed the piece as an alternate reality to our true impact on the earth. That is, we are polluting it and it's dying and there, are, there is no life being born from it. So the alternate reality being, what if this kind of life forms emerged? Lindsay's words again, the poem felt inquisitory, dreamy, but also a little dark. She continues some nuclear perversion that didn't just kill us, but made us suffer in a parallel universe where things are opposite as if what if bees didn't fly? What if we could collect light? Uh, what are moon calves, she asks. Uh, the relationship between the speaker and the other person is a complicated reflection of the world they inhabit, toxic. The speaker gets a form of blood guilt. There's being a secondary guilt one feels from watching pain inflicted from bloodshed. They're confused, but they're also cruel in their own ways. Uh, of course, when does a poem become a prose poem is an important question to ask yourself. Uh, and I felt the sounds in this poem can be so rich, it felt nice to bury them in more. Uh, they pop out through the debris, just like the bottle bees. Hybrid elements of crafts, hybrid insects, therefore hybrid poetry. So she goes on to comment a little bit on the title and just to add that. Blood guilt refers to the liability for punishment for shedding blood. The biblical concept of blood guilt derives from the belief that deeds generate consequences and that sin in particular is a danger to the sinner. But also in this particular dictionary I read once and now cannot find again, mentioned it specifically for being the guilt after being bloodthirsty in war, question mark. Maybe she can't find the dictionary again. Um, so she, uh, she liked the word, and she kind of <laughs> related it to the way the word feels in your mouth, uh, I guess, when spoken. So 
that's uh, a little bit of behind the scenes, which I love, of course. I want it known for the record that usually I'm the one that super overreads for romance relationship dynamics to poems. And this is the one where I've completely missed it. And uh, this could mean that says something about me. I might be entering a new phase in my life. Well, you're saved by when she does say the relationship between the speaker and the other person is complicated. <laughs> so there's layers. She said it, it's complicated. So <laughs> safe to say, you know, a thing or two about complicated relationships. There's a lot of layers to them. And uh, yeah, so it, it's not, uh, not too far. I wouldn't say too far. Yeah, there's this sort of intimacy between in, in the we that is intriguing to me. And three lines that I pulled, because we don't get a ton of repetition in this poem. And so I think that sort of like was calling my attention the time that we did have this repeated. So we have this, we thought it strange to reflect night, light, but not collect it. Um, you know, as if like, of course, on the planet that me and my attached twin lover hu human <laughs> um, uh, are from, we collect light, duh. Um, uh, or we thought it strange to kiss someone and, but not use tongue. Um, that sort of feels a little bit more grounded than I felt like I was getting some more like intimacy that I could recognize. And then there's this really weird one. We, we still think it's strange to wear a cross and not know what it means because it's, this is so futuristic. And I mean, it's interesting hearing um, uh, Lindsay talk about having some Bible concepts floating around in her brain as she was doing this because I didn't pick up on that at all. And maybe that helps me make a little bit of sense of the cross, but it, it also feels, I feel on the outside of the we when I read that statement that, oh, this we has some code about what crosses mean or has some culture or some understanding and I'm observing. And I think that's part of why this reads as so alien as a poem. So anyway, yeah, that's the sort of like patterns that happen between those three lines um, are something that I appreciate. And I think part of what brings the intimacy alive and also the strangeness alive because I feel my distance from that week. Yeah, I feel like um, in in that kind of complex relationship too, so much of the title comes through for me because it feels clear that the we are in on something together, but the speaker is maybe still feeling more guilty about it than the other person that the speaker is with in the poem, you know? So it's like they've, they've decided to step over to that side, but they're like, but what does that really mean? Like, what have I committed to here? Like, am I really okay with everything? All the, going all the way down this path, like like you are, like I'm watching you do, and that I felt like just like was done really beautifully in like the subtext of the poem in in a really nice way. And then um, I just wanted to agree with Chris too that like my favorite parts were like being okay with the unresolvedness, which is like not an easy thing to do. And I just thought it was so brilliant to like end in this line of never bloomed, right? Cause there's like all this potential happening over and over that never lands. And you're like, oh, this last line's not gonna land either. Cool, like that's a 10, stuck it. <laughs> awesome, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, we got, I think we got a lot, a lot of good stuff out of that one. And even just a quick note on the formatting, the me and, um, now, Lindsay went back and forth a little bit just because the way the formatting was on a full page on the screen kind of had to shift a bit to get on the um, either on the website version or the PDF version. Either one, it was going to get screwy. There was some, uh, you know, question of where is the line break in this kind of prose poem? You know, some of the lines are intentionally broken and some of them are let kind of let go. So that was, you know, partially intentional and something that kind of came you know, just as a necessity of formatting along the way. Uh, so yeah, let's move to our last selection. Marissa P. Clark, Awaiting the Orionids. Uh, this was for you, Chris. I saved the love poem for last. Evan, this one was your selection. What did you think about it to start? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling lucky and spoiled. Uh, Ash, I was I was split between your poem and Marissa, and now to realize we get to talk about both. Ooh. 
<laughs> Goody. Um, I wonder, is it okay if I read it to start? Sure, go for it. Yeah. Awaiting the Orionids. Awaiting the Orionids, I prepare my wish to fall in love again, to fly and in descent, not to dive and crash, but level off and then glide and rise and dip, a constant motion, like breath, dependable, something to call relationship. I stood outside, shivering and searched the sky, free of moon and full of stars, hours I watched for promised rain, of meteors to streak hope against the black, when faint gray rimmed the mountain range, an encroaching daylight wiped away the stars like specks of salt spilled on a tablecloth. I went inside and prayed to rest, and the stirring world love moved among got on with life. Um, I'm really grateful for this poem. <laughs> One of the things that I um, enchanted me about it right away was it sort of starts with this kind of audacity of hope like I'm going to hope for things that break physics I'm going to hope for stars that don't actually fall um, <laughs> uh, and, and do something else and there's this like sound echo that we get the glide and rise and dip that we're, the, the repetition of the eyes that that sound to me like pulls it up like I feel like I'm sort of getting into this like I don't know more homeostatic or like biological rhythm not the falling of a star um, and then, and then we're forced to like, oh my God, she prepared her wish and, and prepared it for the Orionids, which, you know, only come when Halley's Comet comes around. Like that's a rare, <laughs> that is a rare event and didn't see any. Um, and so I could imagine this reader, you know, maybe wrestling with, oh crap, I sort of wasted a wish on that. But then has this sort of re-entry back into her, um, or, or their, I don't actually know their pronouns, um, their daily life uh, that sort of, it, it lands in this interesting way. Not I prayed, you know, for rest, like, oh my God, I was heartbroken. I prayed to rest, like praying starts to become a tool of rest. And then the stirring world, love moved among, got on with life. I, I almost feel like, you know, the poem doesn't dive and crash. It levels off at the end, which is very interesting because the story seems to be that, oh, the per you know, the speaker didn't get what they want, but did they? Um, so yeah, sorry, that was a lot of thoughts, but those are some of the things that I love about the poem. <laughs> I think for me that that idea of the speaker didn't get what they want, but did they was like really what made this poem sing for me. And at that hinge point in the middle where um, if you just read through, you kind of make the leap that they didn't see any stars, but it never really says that explicitly, which I thought was a really brilliant move. There's like still this little gap of hope in there that um, is not one way or the other, you know? And so like there's something about that seemed really smart because I think like our intuitive sense of as writers is like say what happened right like whether it did or didn't happen and instead there's just this like kind of possibility and the poem moves on and there's um th that spaciousness I I thought was my favorite part of this poem yeah I like the word spaciousness for this one as well there's a, a simplicity in the lines I think that is a little bit still unusual but still simple I guess, do you, do you know what I mean? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think that it like some of the line breaks follow patterns that I have seen in other poems, but it's new content. So I find it satisfying This sort of free of moon and full of stars. I've seen many lines with moon and stars in them before, <laughs> um, but not this one, you know? And so there, I had this sort of joy of a, a person who is bringing craft that's been applied in many ways to this little moment. I think that's true, yeah. The the simplicity really comes through with like the 
the word choices and like the images all feel really clear, but then there are like these small choices either in line break or punctuation or just ordering um, a series of words slightly different than we might kind of expect them to naturally come that really makes me pause and sit with them and like kind of deliberate out additional options for their meaning and like in, in a way that makes it more complex for me. Yeah, and I'm, I kind of go back to the last couple of lines, the last sentence, right? If you read it as a sentence, it's quite interesting, you know, but maybe if you read it on the, on the line level, it's like, okay, you know, it's not um, not too unusual. But yeah, if you wrote that, read that as a prose sentence, it's pretty fantastic. And of course, it's fantastic in, in, in the poem as well, but it's just kind of like embedded in a, just a different way. It doesn't seem what is interesting at first. Um, so it's it kind of, I love those poems and we've covered a few of them that kind of seem kind of deceptively easy to overlook maybe. I think that, that this one maybe fits into that category because like you said, okay, it's a love poem, you know, it's another love poem. How many of those can there be? Oh, the stars, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, when you kind of break past a little bit of, a little bit of that kind of commonality, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff going on. Oh yeah, Aaron, that it's so funny because yes, of course, like a, a love poem with shooting stars in it. It's like, oh <laughs> man, how how is this possibly going to work? And then we're gift. I'm glad you mentioned that last sentence because I do see like it, it 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 reads as a sentence to me. Um, and one really important part I think in that sentence is this. Um, uh, encroaching daylight wiped away the stars like specks of salt spilled on a tablecloth. Um, that image does so many things, does, does so much work for me. For example, it's, it's suddenly the poem starts to arrive back at home. Like I get the sense that the, per, the person is, is, is arriving and that, you know, maybe they're just trying to process the, the seeing or the not seeing and the, you know, do stars fall or not. And now suddenly the stars have become this sort of insignificant, but also sort of annoying thing, <laughs> uh, like salt in the tablecloth. It's like you can't quite get the grains out and your eye catches it. And then you start wondering about the importance of it, the, the way that image and the sort of frustration of like, oh, can you can I wipe that? Like you can't quite wipe the tablecloth. I don't know that, that the texture of that does so much to start for me to start like slowing me down of like, oh, I'm coming back into the mortal life. And that sets up this amazing last line of, you know, the stirring world, love moved among, got on with life. And, you know, here we had this speaker who was so um, lovesick or love wondering or felt distant from love. And it's not clear that it resolved in some way, but this person is starting to develop this awareness as they arrive back at home that in the life around them, there is love. And, you know, when they said something to call relationship, you can call a lot of things relationship. Suddenly like the possibilities of what relationship means in this sort of like vague, everything-y kind of statement, the stirring world love moved among, got on with life. Just like, mm, that's, that's set up so nicely for me by the tablecloth. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't quite read into the tablecloth image. It's one of those simple ones that kind of just slips through your radar. Uh, quite a fitting image to the to the end of the poem. So I do have uh, some thoughts from Marissa. If you're up for hearing them, you're good. You're good. I was just gonna I was just gonna say that like um, I really liked that uh, what you were talking about as a representation of how like functionally how the poem levels off. There's like this mechanism of sight where the mountains are like huge and we're out here. And then like, we're just like brought in quite literally to this like very small internal right in front of us space. And it's just like, it's a really brilliant writing move to, to do that. And I think like leveled off is a great word that comes earlier in the poem. And that's a great word. Perfect. Yeah. There's a, there's a subtlety to it, which is not which is which is so great because once you see it, you're like, how did I not see it the first five times I read it? So for Marissa, uh, she said this poem is a heavily exaggerated true story. 
Every year in October, the Orionid meteor shower occurs, and a couple of years ago, they were expected to be quite spectacular in New Mexico, where I live. I stayed up extra late to watch the display. I also carefully planned the wish I would make on the first shooting star I saw. I construct wishes carefully, always with qualifying clauses and contingencies. As the poem makes clear, I decided I was ready to take a chance on love again. Now, within 15 minutes, the cold drove me back inside. I tried again later, same result. I stayed out just long enough to get grumpy about losing sleep and not seeing a single shooting star. Back inside and warm again, I chastised myself. There are far more effective ways to find love than waiting outside to wish on a star. In terms of structure, she goes on to say, I aimed for lines that conveyed the quality of the breathing described in the poem, even as the short line length and overall brevity make the poem hasten in its descent down the page. So I love when, you know, when there's that, like it's a seed of truth, but if you can say the grain of the grain of salt at the at the heart of the poem or whatever, to use the metaphor uh, in the poem, we can say, I love when there is that kind of a little true story. And that, that's why I like, if I can, when an author can share their thoughts, because a lot of times there is that reference and experience and image, um, even starting with, you know, that class I was in, you know, and the, the poet I admired and, and kind of wanting to do something similar. There's always like something that kind of sparks our our inspiration and our, ma our imagination, stuff like that. I love hearing those things. And that was uh, another case where the authors, both of them, Marissa and Lindsay, came and Ash, of course, <laughs> you came through in a literal sense for joining us, but the others came through in, uh, in their emails to me. It looks like Chris's computer, I think, is not, I don't think he could, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's able to make it back from his text message he sent me a few minutes ago. So he said he appreciated uh, joining just to send his uh, appreciation to both of you uh, for the uh, unfortunate demise of his laptop. Mm -hmm.